I'm Ronnie Michael, Global Head of Innovation for KPMG International. For the past 25 years, I've been consulting organizations worldwide around technology transformation, business strategy, and applied innovation. And it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Back From 2040 podcast, where I ask business leaders, innovators, futurists, academics, and forward thinkers to travel to 2040, tell us what the world looks like, and explore how we got there. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Diego Stone Iris. Diego is the CEO of Creltech Nano AgTech, a Brazilian AgTech that is commercializing one of the most advanced nanotechnologies for agriculture in the world. Welcome, Diego. It's great to talk to you after having you on stage in KPMG's Global Tech Innovators Competition as the winner. Uh, it was so exciting to hear about what Creltech's technology can do right now in 2022. Hi, Ronnie. Um, it's a great pleasure talking to you again. So for those uh, listening to the podcast who've never heard of Krilltech before, um, could you tell us a few words about what Krilltech does? For sure. Well, Krilltech, as you mentioned, is an ag tech. We've been developing since, since 2014 stimulants. That is biostimulants that are so small to the naked eye, they're about three nanometers wide. That is one billionth of a meter. So just as a reference to how small it is. And uh, these nanoparticles, they act directly into the plant's metabolism, accelerating its growth and also increasing the nutritional content of fruits, grains, seeds, and so on. So basically, we've been developing this with the University of Brasilia here since 2014, alongside Embrapa. Embrapa, if you're not aware, is one of the major powerhouses in agriculture research in Brazil and the world is the Brazilian Research Company for Agriculture, a public one. And uh, we were able to achieve this first prototype in 2018. And in 2021, we were able to kickstart the company in the market and we're commercializing it in Brazil and right now, 2022, expanding worldwide. That's so exciting. Well, listen, let's dive into our discussion because we sent you to 2040. This is your 2040, the 2040 that you believe we can get to, right? So well, given what you do today in the 2020s with Krilltech, I'm assuming when you explore 2040, you particularly focused on agriculture and the changes that have happened there. So can you tell us a little bit, traveling to 2040, what did agriculture look like? For sure. Well, uh, on my side, talking about agriculture, uh, when we got to the 2040s, one key thing that we were able to see is how digitalization and how automation really changed the landscape. So right now when we're talking about agriculture, like the standard agriculture, we're talking about automated combines, we're talking about automated harvesters, everything works inside a huge cloud so basically, the farm is a huge cloud of IoT, uh, where these equipment, all of this machinery, they work together in synchrony. So basically, the farmers have reduced their workload a lot. <laughs> so they don't need to basically program these kinds of equipments and so on, so that they act on their own. And more importantly, I think, is that precision agriculture is really precise nowadays. So, so you have sensors, you have 
not only traditional sensors like macro ones that we're using today, but ones also in nanoscale that have been working to identify potential lacks of nutrients, for example, in the soil, to also predict dry spells that have become, unfortunately, a very common thing these days because of climate change. And also to be able to not only treat what's happening, like the past and so on, but also prevent them from happening. So we've changed from the traditional way of controlling the field agriculture by addressing the needs of now into changing it and predicting the needs of the future so that you can have a much more efficient and much less aggressive approach to agriculture in the ESG sense, that is in the environmental sense, into how to use less and have greater benefit. Wow, that, that sounds amazing. And you were talking before about nanotechnology and how that's embedded in what Quiltec's doing. And that's such a significant thing in the 2020s. I'd love to hear if nanotechnology actually revolutionized agriculture uh, by 2040. And did, did it live to what your expectations were? Well, as a matter of fact, it did. The 2020s were still like the escalation of this big slope. It's achieved in 2040s. It's become, as I mentioned, a standard as well. Not only in, as I mentioned, nanobiosensors in which you're able to, with very intensive AI, address the needs and identify the nutritional and uh, water needs of the soil and the environment, but also to use the nanotechnology as Quiltec does into addressing internal plant issues. So it's become so evolved that you have this sort of um, regulation of the plants into achieving their maximum productivity by the usage of these nanobiostimulants that will address specific metabolic needs in the correct times. So we're talking about, for example, the emergence of plants from the soil. Uh, you have a much more focus into creation of leaves, creation of roots, so that the plant can have a much more robust stem system so that it can grow and then generate more fruits, generate more seeds and so on. And we're talking about the fruitification period, the blossoming period before uh, you have a, a focus changing from leaf reduction into fruit production, into flower production. So basically this pathways have become so well known and so well uh, regulated that the efficiency of plants, of the physiology and of the, all the genetics that these plants have has been maximized into giving out, into outputting even more with the same area, with the same nutritional inputs. So that's one of the great things that has happened is this huge leap in productivity in the field. And that sounds uh, so exciting because I'm assuming, you know, as the years go by and we move into 2040, we'll need to take more and more control in the areas where nature, the weather and the ecosystems can no longer provide what they need to, to, to help the plants flourish. But, you know, I'm really interested in the most important thing, which is what about Krilltech? Is it uh, still alive and kicking in 2040? And what is it doing? Has it driven change in agriculture? And, and what's it continuing to do? Well, uh, I'm very pleased to inform you that Krilltech is doing amazing. 
One of the things that we have established ourselves is the number one tech provider and R&D developer for nanotechnology in agriculture, not only focused on fertilizers, but also in pest control. Uh, that nowadays, because they're so low toxicity, uh, they're not even called pesticides anymore. They're called controllers because we address the, the, the pests directly without any toxicity for other organisms because we're delivering specific particles that kill off, for example, this specific moth that attacks your soybean. And it doesn't do anything else to any other species. So that's kind of the, the idea behind what we've developed. And Quiltech has become like the standard tech provider and the standard solution provider for uh, other big ad companies, other big uh, distributors in the market for these kinds of nano solutions. Not only in Brazil, but also in the world. Well, I'm so happy for you. It sounds like an amazing future. And and it sounds like an amazing future where we are able to um, not just control, but also affect the different ecosystems leading to a much more viable agriculture. Um, but, you know, I wanted to touch on something that's slightly different and connected into agriculture. So today in the 2020s, we're facing significant issues around food poverty. And according to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, in 2019, almost 690 million people were estimated to be undernourished. And, you know, today during the COVID-19 pandemic, global agriculture commodity prices are increasing by about 40% since January 2020. So with, you know, these estimates suggesting uh, we'll be around 9 billion people in the world by 2050, uh, we'll probably need to increase about 70% of global food production. And with that kind of as a background and looking at land scarcity, um, you know, in the years leading to 2040, did you see that we've been able to tackle that? Can you give me some some um, optimistic uh, views <laughs> on what 2040 um, enables us to do to tackle that whole situation? Well, I have good news for you. <laughs> the 2030s were still a big challenge, but that was the key turning point for this big issue uh, that's happened worldwide. Yes, the human population started to grow. Again, it's, it's kept growing, uh, especially in Africa. And even though countries were reducing their carbon footprint and carbon emissions, but still we have these effects happening because we, we still agreed on the 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature increase. So dry spells, uh, floods and so on, they've become much more common these days. So it's been a great challenge for agriculture and especially in underdeveloped countries. So the 2030s was a key turning point because we were able to expand the reach of technology in agriculture, not only to the developed countries, but also to the underdeveloped ones, so that we could provide these equipment and provide these solutions, such as uh, the ones from Tech to Africa, to Asia, and to Latin America, not only to increase for the productivity that is great, but also to increase food quality, because that is also one of the biggest challenges ahead is the nutritional erosion of food that's been happening for the last decades. 
So the idea behind it is to provide these nano solutions, for example, with accrued nutrients to tackle these many nutritional diseases that have become unfortunately present uh, that were still existent, for example, in the 2020s uh, in these underdeveloped countries. So 2030s, this major global address to the underdeveloped markets was the major turning point into which we were able to start changing this inflection point into addressing productivity and also quality for these regions in the globe. That's amazing. And and now for a specific point of interest for me, so, you know, looking at um, those those changes and the ability to enhance food nourishment, um, do we see other changes in habits in terms of food that we consume? And most specifically, are people consuming less meat in 2014? Yes, but kind of different from what vegans would expect. What happened, as a matter of fact, is a change from farm-grown meat to lab-grown meat. So basically, people still eat meat, but it comes from labs, like the ones from Impossible Foods and so on. That's the same idea. It's become much cheaper, much more accessible. So there's been this significant shift into consumption. So basically, you can order, I want to eat a rump steak, and you can order a rump steak that's been grown in your local lab. So it's kind of fun to see that nowadays. But also, simultaneously, many of these farm-grown cattle and so on, they have been produced alongside integrated productive systems. Uh, I'm not sure if you're you're aware what these are, but for example, uh, here in Brazil, in the 2020s, Embrapa, started developing these specific integrated systems between forestry, agriculture, and cattle farms. So these systems have shown that they're carbon negative. So that means that they have a positive impact related to carbon footprint. And they're also being used worldwide as well. So you still have that niche of people that want to eat traditional meat and so on, and they can do that without harming the environment. Wow, Diego, that sounds uh, that sounds like an amazing reality. And, you know, I'm really interested to understand not only what happened in 2040, but also what enabled it. So could you share some of the things that enabled this reality for nanotechnology to take such a significant part of our life and specifically our nourishment? Um, and, and what had to happen to enable that in 2040 in terms of, you know, regulation or societal changes or, or whatnot? Well, that, that's a great question. Um, yes, uh, one thing that happened in 2020s is, was kind of a PR challenge uh, in some cases, specifically in, in Europe, because it was still much embedded into the popular imagination that nanotechnology means Toxicity, nanotechnology means bioaccumulation, and that is because it was still embedded into the popular imagination that when you talk about nanotechnology, you're talking about nanometals. That, that's the great difference and the great challenge that had that we had to face back then. But since we sh- we've shown and we proved with field trials, with lab trials and so on to the governments, uh, European governments, also the American, South American governments as well, 
that the technology that we're talking about is biodegradable and it's basically uh, organic carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, and hydrogen. So organic by definition, it has a really short lifetime inside plants of 15 to 20 days. So all of these aspects were really important to show them that the that the major issues that they had with nanotechnology at first were solved because the reasoning behind it uh, didn't make sense for organic carbon nanotechnology. It did make sense for nanometals, but it's not become a, quite a standard for agriculture practices because of these issues. And would you think that technologies such as blockchain allow transparency for that, for the end consumers? Or were there other technologies that came into play to allow that in 2040? Yeah, for sure. Uh, blockchain has been a very important technology regulatory-wise because it allowed for consumers, for also the whole value chain to identify the step-by-step origin of sad meat, of crops, and so on, so that they could really trust that this product did not come from not-so-green sources. So basically, we've managed to have the organic production seal here in Brazil in 2020. As a matter of fact, in 2022, we got that seal of approval suitable for organic bioproduction, like in Europe, people say. And it's become quite of a standard. And that's one of the major paradigms that we've broken is that we've developed products that serve the purpose of addressing plants need, not only in traditional practices, but also in organic ones. And it's kind of a leap that uh, that we were able to achieve that no one had so far. So it's one of the major points that we, we celebrated into how we were changing the way agriculture was being done uh, in the 2020s. And right now it's become common ground. We have a huge R&D team. So it's really interesting to talk about the past. <laughs> That's great. And, you know, I love the way that we are talking about, you know, technology, nanotechnology, and, and looking at the future. And eventually when we're looking almost 20 years from now, what's really changed is not so much the technology, but the trust that people have in that technology to enable to use it as widely as we can, which is pretty amazing. Exactly. If someone would talk about nanotechnology and agriculture in the 2020s, beginning early 2020s, it would still be an unknown. But nowadays, it's basically like we're talking about smartphones in the 2020s. Nowadays, we don't have those. We have like holographic screens and so on. But it's the same thing. It's the same idea. Uh, People were not used to it. And now it's become standard practice. So you can't do it without. So cool. So let me ask you this. Come back to 2022 with me and tell me, you know, looking uh, back at your journey back from 2040, what were the biggest lessons that you learned and what can you take away with you right now to implement to this reality? Well, I think the biggest lesson that not only I got, but also humanity got for these 20 years is that technology is a must in agriculture if we want to make it greener and more efficient. That's one of the key points that usually people are not that much used to. And people think that, ah, I want to make a, a sustainable agriculture. I don't need to use technology. But it's kind, kind of the opposite. Because if you want to make agriculture greener, make it more efficient so, don't, so you don't have to use 
excessive amounts of fertilizers who don't need to use pesticides and so on, you need to have data. You need to understand the area you're in. You need to understand what the plant's physiological needs are. So that means you need to have technology. You need to have technology to monitor the this. You need to have technology to apply these kinds of solutions in the field. So it was a big takeaway that we had, and we were able to, as a sector, to evolve beyond the traditional and much more old school thinking that I've done agriculture this way since ever, so I'll keep doing it that way. So that's not it. That was a major paradigm shift that not only companies had to go through, but also farmers had to as well. Exciting and, and fascinating. And it's been so interesting to have this discussion with you, especially on these topics that are so close to my heart. Um, and thank you so much for um, joining the podcast. Um, I had great fun. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you, Ronnie. It was great. Finally came back from 2040 from my electric flying car. So uh, <laughs> I'm back to 2020 <laughs> still with my <laughs> with my traditional car and uh, all the traditional things we're used to. So yeah, it was kind of fun to, to just huge leap ahead. Great. Thanks so much, Diego. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Back From 2040, the KPMG podcast where our guests travel to 2040 and back and tell us all about it. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast channel. And if you have any feedback, you can email us on innovation.team at kpmg.com.